It's another Sunday, another win for Nebraska, the third in a row for the first time since who knows when. I mean, it's, it's like they haven't even done this since stats were a thing. You know, that's whoa, 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 whoa. The last time they did this, there was a big moment in baseball. But continue on. All right. Well, that voice you hear is our guest here on the Sunday side session for Nebraska's win over Purdue. None other than Gary Sharp from 1620 The Zone. Gary. Welcome to the Sunday side session. I am I am so lucky to wake up with you today. <laughs> you know, not a lot of people have said that in their lives, but uh, you get to join a very short list that has uttered such a phrase. How does it feel? Um, you know what? Probably not as special as it does for your uh, lovely wife, Shelby. But, you know, after yesterday, where whatever that was that happened at Memorial Stadium that ended with a good result, I'm 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 up to talk ball. Yeah, I, before we dive into the nuts and bolts of everything about yesterday, I was sitting there this morning thinking about the game, thinking about what we were going to talk about, and then just sort of like pondered, what if there was a version of Nebraska that just didn't fumble five times against Purdue? Like, would they have scored 40, 50 points in that game, potentially? I, like if, if they don't yeah. ever turn the ball over, like if they had a game with no turnovers, would they have reached 50 points yesterday? I think the answer is closer to yes than than some people might be willing to admit because Purdue might be that bad defensively. Yes. So when you say that, people are like, oh, come on. Let, let's just cut to the chase. That was a bad football team that Nebraska played yesterday. And I agree with you. If they don't turn the ball over like they did, they probably put up, I don't know, seven touchdowns at least <laughs> against that yeah. Purdue team. It, it's remarkable because they have these three straight wins. You beat, um, you know, Illinois – I don't even remember what the final score, 23 to 20, 7? 20 to 7. 20 to 7? Yeah, they beat Illinois 20 to 7. You beat uh, Northwestern 17 to 9. And then you take care of Purdue 31 to 14. And in every one of those games, it felt like Nebraska left a touchdown, two touchdowns out on the field. In the case of Illinois, maybe three touchdowns. Like, So it is it's kind of remarkable. Like they're, they're winning these games. They won two by double digits, the third by eight points. So nearly, you know, nearly more than a touchdown. And yet at the same time, it's just like, Oh man, can we trust this team? What are we going to get? And it's just a weird, it is a weird combination. We're used to weird things around this program, but I'm not used to weird winning like this, no. I guess. Yeah. That's what that I'm, I'm having to change my, my framework of my brain for that's like the struggle is Nebraska can play at times just mind-boggling, but they don't they don't crack. Like mentally, I think they're in a really good space considering some of the things that plague them. Um, but it's like I, I look around college football and Nebraska has Nebraska fits into the landscape. Don't you think Shafe in 2023? It basically is the survival of the fittest. It is essentially week to week. There are very few teams that look great week to week. It's just basically you kick off on Saturday, and by the end of the 60 minutes, you just hope you survive and you move on for another week. And Nebraska's found a way to do that, and especially this run in October. I, I, I think you can't overlook the fact of what we've all experienced around here and, and, and what we thought coming into the season, that they won three football games in a row. They were 3-14 and 14 in their previous 17 Big Ten games, and they just won three Big Ten games in a row. It's not their fault that the Big Ten West is not, mm, they just got to play the games in front of them. And Nebraska is not one of the elite teams, but they just go out and they play week to week and they find a way to win a football game when there are a lot of things that say, uh, if you do this, this, and this, you shouldn't win. But they've won three in a row and they've won now five of six. Yeah. I mean, if, if someone had gone, if, if someone had told you that the Monday after the Colorado game, that Nebraska would win five out of their next six games with Heinrich Harburg at the starting quarterback position, you wouldn't have believed it. There's no, no way you would have believed it. No. And most people wouldn't have believed it. I mean, most the most ardent Nebraska supporter and, you know, positive person wouldn't have believed I don't know that Matt Rule would have believed it. But that's, that's also why, like, the season is long for a reason. You can have multiple iterations of your team within a 12-game season, within a 13-week stretch. Um, because now, I mean, think about how we're talking about Maryland. 
thinking about how you're looking at the rest of this schedule where it's like, okay, before it was like if Nebraska could just get to six and six in the first year of Matt Rule, it would be a success. Yeah. Now people are looking at what's in front of Nebraska, and it's almost like if they don't get to eight wins, you're going to have some real kind of complaints from other folks that had told you after the end of the Colorado game, they'd be lucky to win two games this season. Yeah. Like it, the, the analysis and the reaction to Nebraska football week to week just tends for these wild swings, which would, you know, make you think that we should stop doing the week to week analysis, but we're not going to. No, 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 no. No one's, no one's going to stop. Yeah. You know, the cat's out of the bag. Week to week analysis, play to play analysis, <laughs> second to second analysis. That's where we're headed. So, uh, it's, it's been quite the ride. I, I want to, uh, I want to dive into the game a little bit. I want to start on special teams. Uh, mm -hmm. I want to talk about the phase of football that we spend the least amount of time talking about. And yesterday was, was a great day and an ugly day all at the same time, because you had, you had the game starts with your, your up back in the kick return unit, returning the kick, <laughs> fumbling, losing the ball in the pile Nebraska emerging with the ball, the refs giving the ball back to Purdue. And that was the opening play of the game. And that comes a week after, a week after your first play from the offensive, you know, scrimmage was an interception. Like Nebraska started back-to-back yeah. -back home games, giving the ball away and won both of them relatively comfortably. Like it's just, these sorts of things don't happen in Nebraska. Like they're somehow the same team they've been and yep. yet now they're winning these games like it just doesn't yep. it doesn't compute so special teams you have that but you also have and i i want to focus on the good you had the quentin newsome uh field goal block return for a touchdown johnny on the spot great play great moment uh the high five a lot of fun that was cool with him and tommy hill <laughs> you have ryan buscini who started the game with what i thought was like a, oh no punt like it, it felt like it came off the wrong part of his foot he was fortunate it went for 43 yards then you look up, and I think he had like five punts. He averaged 45 yards. Two of them were over 50. One was 59 yards, and it just caught the ground, caught fire, rolled into the end zone. And another was over 50, uh, and two inside the 20. So Buscini with a good day. And then, and here's where we're getting to, Gary, the 55-yard field goal that might have been yeah. good from 61 from Tristan Alvano. What kind of shot in the arm do you think that was for a kid that you know that you've watched, yeah. you know, quite a bit? I think it's just a continuation. You know, you go back to the the game against Northwestern where he hit a 47-yarder. Into the win. And, I, I mean, I think he, he finally – we've seen this before with kickers. Like, I use Drew Brown as an example. Drew Brown turned out to be a pretty good kicker at Nebraska, but his first year was really choppy. And we had kind of the same questions about, okay – did this guy, did Nebraska make a mistake here? They can't afford to have a guy that has the yips and isn't consistent. And we kind of were saying that thing after the Illinois game about Tristan Alvano is, ah, you know what? He's a freshman. Maybe we ought to sit him for a little bit because you got bleak growth. And all they've done is they continue to have confidence in him. And he's gone out and backed it up in, in, in weather conditions, which when you're from Omaha, Nebraska, you're used to kicking into, you know, half your season in high school. So I think yesterday was a huge boost in the arm. And also it's, it's the part of like, they believe like they, they get validation. Okay. Uh, I believe in you. And then if you believe in yourself, good things are going to happen. And that's kind of the approach they went with Alvano and look at now he's hit back-to-back -back fields goals like this. You'd like to see him to do it again and develop some consistency. I just think with special teams in the good part of special teams that you're alluding to Shafe, they have, they have put belief in players. And, and they have returned the belief. It's an amazing thing. I, I think a lot of this, what Nebraska has been able to do to get to five and three when they're going to lead the nation in fumbles, um, but they're going to be one of the better defenses is mentally, this team doesn't crack. Like they no. have a, they have a bad play on special teams to begin the game. They have a slow start for essentially the third straight game. And they just don't crack because previous teams, if you have a special teams blunder like yesterday, that team is already down seven nothing, and 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 the whole sideline feels like, oh, it's over now. And you still have fifty eight minutes of football to play. Yeah, I I mean you you hit on it. Like I, the mental change for this program 
is probably the starkest difference between what we saw under Matt Rule and and what we saw under Scott Frost. I mean, the they they believe that they're in every contest. I and it's not just you know it's not just Matt Rule. It's not just the coaching staff. Like listen to these guys when they talk. Listen to yeah. Ty Robinson when he was talking yesterday. Listen to Heinrich Harburg when he's talking. I mean, they really believe every week that they are going to have the chance to win, that they're going to be put in position to win, and that they have the pieces, the ability, and the expectation to win. I mean, that was not happening by middle of 2019 and on. It was, well, we could win. We, you know, if, if we do this, 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 and this, we will win. Whereas it feels like with, with rule, it's like, okay, show up, play every play hard, and we're going to come out on top regardless of what obstacles are in front of us. It's no. kinda, like, it's a simple, it's a very simple approach. He's basically asking, give me all of your effort for 60 minutes, and we're going to figure this out as we go. Like, that's, that's what it yeah. feels like every time. Yeah. Play play hard and good things will happen because I think they 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 work hard, yeah. like they they work hard during the week and so they see the result and Saturday becomes validation. Yeah, it's it's an amazing kind of quick turnaround. How much belief they have in the head coach? Like you know, you could still be suspect and go ah, you know what? It's just the first year. We're trying to figure things out. But man, they believe not only in the coach, but I, I think another big thing of all of this shape through five and three and on the cusp of going to a bowl game is guys believe in themselves. And I don't know that I've been able to say that with a a wide majority of those players over the last couple of years, that they believe in themselves. They can have their issues with the coaches, but it starts with, do you believe that you can do this and not say, Oh yeah, I can do it. But do you believe? And I think not only Matt rule, but I think his coaches position coaches have done a good job of hammering that point home to kids that. Yeah. If you do this, you can believe in yourself. You're good. You're here for a reason. And I think we're seeing it on Saturday by guys that keep showing up that we go, man, where, where did you come from? Where have you been? Yeah. And, and then, and then the next question is, where are you going? Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> when, mean, are you, when are you coming back? When yeah. can we get more of this? You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. I, you touched on something that is really interesting. Um, also, Matt Rule provides, I think, the right kind of leadership for a, a program that's transitioning a little bit like Nebraska yes. is from great, great the dredges of, of, you know, football society these last couple of years. Think about what he said after yesterday's game when he kind of like openly mocked the idea that Nebraska's season's goal was to get to a bowl game. Yep. Like he he took an idea that most of us around here were like, yeah, seven and five, six and six feels like it's that kind of team. And he basically said, why are you limiting yourself? Why is, why is the belief that you can only be this? Why can't we be that? And to have a coach just sort of say that as bluntly as he did and kind of just like slicing through the heart of, you know, the week to week reaction talk, like how much has this been like the March to get to six and now they're at five and three, they're going to go to East Lansing. You have Maryland who hasn't beat a team with more than two wins on its schedule this year. And after, after that you have Wisconsin and Iowa, both who seem gettable, um, but you could also lose any of these games. And you have a coach that basically said, yeah, I mean, what, why are we stopping at six? The season doesn't end if we win our next game. And I, I found that refreshing because I think that mentality serves the program so well. Like, don't just pick one singular thing and make that mm-hmm. everything. Go for the best that you can get and see where you land. Like, that's, that seems to be the the mentality, and I think that plays over into how they play football games, too. Like, if your goal is to get a sack, great. Make it more than that. You know, your goal should be... To, to go as hard as you can on this play yeah. and we'll see what the result is. Maybe it's a sack, but maybe it's an interception. Maybe it's you forced a bad throw and you get off the field on third down. It's it's an interesting sort of spin on on how some of us have perceived what this season is. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. I, I, I think it's, you know, I, I observed this last week. Like, I know that he, he has really ratcheted up the intensity in practice. Like, him personally has been coaching these guys harder because don't you think, and, and, and maybe I'm leading back into what you just said, which I fully agree with, he gives you the sense that he's looking at what's ahead of them 
And why stop with six? Why not believe that you could go and win the Big Ten West because of what's ahead of you looking at your team? And there's nothing that's daunting that goes, oh, no, we're going to be in trouble. And I think he's kind of started to hint about that because he wants guys in that room to believe to not stop at six and go, okay, now where do we go? Where do we get to go in December? Is, man, you the possibilities, the way this season has unfolded with Nebraska and the rest of the teams that are on the schedule, there is a world of possibilities. And I think that's a play for 23, but don't you think that's beyond so that guys don't say, man, let's limit ourselves because this is what we've done in the past. And man, if we get to this, boy, this program hasn't seen it. We feel good. No, go above and beyond. So he's also done something and maybe I'm reading too much into it. I think he has, he's done a good job of working on 23 while he's also dropping breadcrumbs to all of us about what the future of Nebraska football and how he approach it looks from expectations to what happens on Saturdays. Yeah. And I think it's, some of it is just why limit yourself? Why think small? I mean, I I think that's a big part of Matt rule. Why think small, you know, we can accomplish big if we all think big, if we all go hard. So I think small, and I I think that's a, I think that's a big part of it. I think you, you hit on it where it feels like he's continually talking towards the future, whether the future is a week from now or a year from now um, or multiple years from now. And I, I wonder if some of it isn't rooted in the idea that the divisions are going away anyways, that you're going to have to find other things to play for than, than a big 10 West trophy or than a bowl game or, you know, when you're stuck in, in a 18 team division or 18 team conference, you know, you have to find things that get you up to play that exist beyond, you know, um, winning the big 10 West or getting to a certain amount of wins. And I, so I think some of it is Nebraska has probably the right guy from a mental standpoint to kind of keep driving the the wagon. So you don't just yeah. stall out and you actually finish the journey. So I, I, I thought that was really notable. All right, let's, let's take a uh, quick timeout. We'll come back. We will dive into what we saw on offense, what we saw on defense and, and what we're thinking about is things move forward for Nebraska football here on the Sunday side session. Offense. Let's just get this kind of out of the way. Probably, probably the roughest game for Heinrich Harburg in his, uh, in his six starts so far. I mean, it was not, obviously the, the belly option pass to to Jalen Lloyd was perfect. The, the quick touchdown. I mean, he, at one point he was four of six for a touchdown, 48 yards, and then he completed two of his remaining five passes. There was other passes that might have been completed, but Purdue was, uh, you know, had some pass interferences in there and some other things that kind of just negated the play even happening to begin with. But running the ball, we saw Purdue do something that I think you're going to see Iowa do. I think you're going to see Wisconsin do. I have no idea if Maryland and Michigan State have the pieces to be able to pull it off. But they basically took their safety. They moved them into the spot right behind the middle linebacker. And then they said, we'll give you one-on-ones outside and our safety is going to pull to one side or the other or grab a running back or whatever. You decide what you're going to do. You're not running the option all day long on this. And Nebraska, you know, Heinrich Harburg had like right around 30 yards rushing out of the stats right in front of me. Um, Average like 2.5 yards a carry was not particularly explosive. Um, And Purdue kind of took that away. And I, I think Gary, we're going to see teams do that. So they're going to have to find other ways to move the ball down the field because it also does not feel like they are comfortable just lining it up and running it at teams without a lot of window dressing, without a lot of motion, without a lot of, you know, even the threat of the option. So it's Marcus Satterfield definitely has his work cut out for him over these next five or four games, because I thought Purdue, even though they gave up points, they had a blueprint there that other teams with better players can utilize. Yeah. And I think also they were very shaky on their man-to-man concepts of sometimes they get confused on, playing man-to-man, and all of a sudden they'd hand it off to a guy and thinking they're playing zone. But you're absolutely right. So what they did is they brought that safety kind of into the box a bit, but he was a shadow of Harburg the entire game. So that became, all right, let's test Harburg between the ears. If he sees that, stuff's going to be open on the outside. And you and you saw a couple of times where Harburg was able to check into the right thing. And so they had the pass to Lloyd, and they had some other long balls. Um it's just the fact that nobody respects Nebraska to be able to throw the football. Mm-hmm. And 
also you get into the thing of, okay, if we get behind schedule, Nebraska's in trouble. Uh, and, and I think that puts a lot of stress on Harburg because individually he's not talented enough to go make a play. And it's just a hodgepodge of offense right now where Satterfield puts together a 15-play, 87-yard drive that takes yeah, up nearly nine minutes. And, and a lot of the plays designed in that drive were like, whoa, okay, this is kind of what it's supposed to look like. But it, it always seems like it's one foot forward and two steps back. And I'm not factoring in the fumbles. I'm just factoring in the execution that it's hard for Nebraska to play offense right now. And, you know, thankfully they have that defense. I think they're just trying to scrape through and get through the last four games on offense and hope that there's there's three to five plays a game where Harburg is really good, either throwing the ball or running the ball, and those plays end up in big chunk plays or they end up in the end zone. Um, because I, I, I think from here on out, you're going to see the Purdue model of like spying Harburg and making him make decisions on the fly when Nebraska has to throw the football. But I agree with you, Shafe. It, it's tough right now for Nebraska to run or throw the football and, you know, it's going to take everything in Harburg's box of goodies to figure out how to get five, six yards, you know, how to win first down. Because if they don't win first down, it seems like everything just hits the wall. Yeah, and that drive, they had four different third downs in which they were able to sustain. He hit on several important passes. You know, that was, was probably the best drive for both Marcus Satterfield and for Heinrich Harburg this year. And, it, you know, it wasn't like Purdue gave them a lot. They had to move down the field relatively methodically. Yep. He had to make a couple big throws on third down. I think the one to Jaden Doss was on that drive that, yep. uh, you know, they, they had to get him the ball. He had to move the pocket a little bit to do it. I, I believe that Harburg has that in him. I think that he can win you games with the sort of concept of you have to hit on these, you know, five sort of plays. There has to be kind of five chunk plays or, you know, four to five chunk plays in a game. And if one of them can be a touchdown, they've done that back-to-back weeks on that belly option. Um, it really allows for a little breathing room, especially when your defense is playing as well as Nebraska's defense has been. What did you think of Emmett Johnson on uh, on Saturday? So I, I think you and I talked about this. When they first offered him a scholarship and he committed, I was like, uh, I don't know if he's ever going to play in the Big Ten. I will say good on him because he has give, been given an opportunity. And, and I, there's just something about him. It doesn't scream three down back to me, but in this current state, it seems like a very successful back because I don't think he overthinks things. You know, when he gets the ball, he, he hits the hole strong. He doesn't have pitter-patter feet. Now, he's not a very big guy, but once he hits the hole, he can get skinny through it. And then once he's to the next level, you see him crank up the speed. So I've been really impressed by him. You can tell that he is holding on to the football just the way he he holds it when he gets the handoff. I And he's got good vision. I, I think he's, he's starting to read his blocks a little bit more. There was a play yesterday where I thought if he bounced it just a shade to the left, he's got a chance to go 8, 10, 15. But instead, he hung in on the right and, and, and hit mm -hmm. the back of his own lineman. Um, I've been impressed by him. That's... That's one of those things. He's another one of those poster childs of this season where guys got opportunities and because they've been paid attention to during practice, just because they're on the third or fourth team, they've been ready for those opportunities. And I think he's a guy, you know, on the heels of the Quan Lacey decommit and trying to figure out where Ramir and Irvin are next year, man, Emmett Johnson, he's your guy for the rest of the season. And I want to see him more than 12 carries. I, I think, Nebraska is going to have to have a game in the last four that they're going to need the running back to have more carries than the quarterback. And that's only happened twice this year. It yeah. didn't happen yesterday, but I'd like to see Emmett Johnson. I, don't you think Shafe, he can be a 15 to 20 yard or tw 15 to 20 carry a game guy for the rest of the season, at least. Yeah, he, he can be. He's one of those guys that I'm already sort of curious what he's going to look like in 2024, yeah. because I think he's going to spend a lot of time with Corey Campbell. Uh, and that strength and conditioning staff, the one area of his game that's a real limitation to me, and it's kind of like Ramirez was in 2021, they are going to get you everything they can up to a certain point, and it's when yeah. contact really comes into play. They're not big run-through contact guys. It felt like there was probably three runs yesterday where if Emmett just kind of can break out of a leg tackle uh, yeah. in the second or third level, he's he's got a long run there. And so I, I – 
I think the vision is good for the most part. I think the effort is great. I mean, it, you can see it. Yeah. He explodes into every carry that he gets. And I think that's really helpful. Um, and I, I am very interested in him. I don't know that this staff is going to trust him to grind a game out. I mean, yeah. here's the thing. Minnesota on Saturday against the same Michigan State team that Nebraska is going to travel to play had their fifth string running back carry the ball 40 times for 204 <laughs> yards. There is no chance in hell Nebraska has Emmett Johnson carry the ball 40 times. No, nope. he's their fourth string running back. Um, but I just don't see them, I don't see them committing to that style of offense. Like, I just don't know that they trust their offensive line in this uh shape to be able to go and do that, that they trust Emmett Johnson to be able to hold up. That's a lot of carries. Yes. For a guy that came into the game that had six carries, he left with <laughs> 40 against Michigan State. I don't know that Nebraska is willing to do that, um, but it, it it is out there. Like for both of their next couple games, if they just wanted to go really run heavy, they could really test both Michigan State and Maryland uh, with that. I, I just don't know if they will, but – in the meantime, I feel like Anthony Grant is going to continue to see less opportunities. I thought he fumbled that football. I didn't get a great yeah. replay of it, but it looked like he was laying on someone when the ball came out and he wouldn't have been down necessarily unless the whistle was blown. Um, so that concerns me again. I just, there's just so many carries that it just feels like he doesn't get the yards that are out there. And and so you get the ball security and, and the lack of production. It just feels easy to move on from Anthony Grant. Yeah, and I think that's uh, it's time to see what you have in Emmett Johnson. You've done that yeah. for the last couple of games, and and Anthony doesn't look anything like he did last year. He doesn't run as confident. Uh, you know, the fumbling issue is in the back of the mind. Everybody's trying to tackle the fumble with him, and he just he just is nowhere near what he was. So it's yeah. an opportunity. Let's see what you have with Emmett Johnson because here's a guy that's going to have basically a six game, re, uh, you know, a six game tryout for next year. But I agree with you. They're not, they don't have a running back on this roster that they're going to say, hey, can you carry it 40 times? But could they do a combination of Harburg, Johnson, and I don't know, even a fleeks, not necessarily quarterback handoff out of the backfield, that they could get to 40 carries against Michigan yeah. State? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 possible. I mean, I, I like some of the stuff they are incorporating with fleeks. The hard thing with fleeks, he's never played running back in kind of an option system. There was a play where he needed to be a lead blocker for Harburg and kick yeah. a guy out of the hole. He had no idea what he was doing. Like he absolutely missed the block. Harburg gets stood straight up and a play that should have been at least seven yards turns into a play that was three. And it could have been more than that if you get the lead block. So he, there's still some things. I think he's pretty limited in how they, they're going to utilize him. But I think because he has big play potential, like Malachi Coleman, like Jalen Lloyd, um, you need to utilize him. You need to, you know, you need to have him on the field for at least 15, 20 snaps because somewhere in those 15, 20 snaps, he might get you a 35 yard play. And yeah, Nebraska is going to need that 35 yard play. Don't you, you know? think like that's, that's why I think he's, yeah. he's more valuable at this point than Anthony Grant. So there was a, there was a pass where they, they put him in motion and Harburg threw it to him. Kind of, it, it, it was kind of a semi wheel route. Um, that he hit him along the Nebraska sideline that I thought was a good, it was just a quick three-step drop for Harburg. He got the ball, he got it out, he got it in the hands of Fleeks and then say, go make a play. Um, I I think they, I, I think maybe that'll be something new that we'll see in the offense is get the ball to Fleeks on the edge and then let him go and make a play. You know, get, get it, get out in the flat and see if he can read one of his blockers and get downfield. I mean, that's just, that's one of those wrinkles. It just, it goes back to the point how we started this segment. It's such a grind offensively to find the right play. And then when you think you have the right play and it looks so good on paper and maybe it's been run well in practice, when it blows up, you're like, okay, what, what next sheet do I have? You know, that's, yeah. that, that's the problem right now for the offense is you can't get into a rhythm and you can't set up pet plays for later in the game because those pet plays are so inconsistent. All right, let's. Uh, we're unfortunately going to skip on the receivers and the tight ends. They're going to be the same people next week. We're going to have the same conversation about them next week. They kind of are what they are. They're very interesting. They're very young. Um, they're the future of Nebraska's positions there. But they also, you know, not a lot to, to talk about. So we're going to dive into the defense 
finish things up here. And I'm just going to start with a very simple question. Was that Nebraska's best defensive performance of the year? You yes. held a team under 200 yards. They scored one touchdown on a fumble return. They scored the other touchdown on a scramble play, in which he just got the ball over Phelan Sanford uh, in the end zone. The receiver had to make a nice catch on fourth down. Um, was that the best Nebraska's defense has looked? And does that tell you that they might be peaking at the right time? Uh, are they peaking or are they the same defense they've been all season long? They're just really well coached. They they play with they play fun. They play hard. I agree with you. I think that was their best defensive effort. I mean, yeah, I, per, per, Purdue Hudson Card had very little time. They did a great job downfield of their defensive backs. And remember, they had uh, an injury where Hartsog had to go back to safety when Omar Brown got injured. I mean, they just Shafe, They play their assignments so well. I mean, there's very few breakdowns where they get exposed and. Those ones that they are, they turn out to be big plays, but gosh, it's been a while since you can go, man, that was a defensive breakdown that led to a touchdown, i.e. the Colorado game with Tommy Hill. I I come away every week impressed by what they're able to do, but they just keep doing the same thing. They haven't taken a step back. Yeah, I the reason I think they might be peaking is I think you're getting more guys that are joining the levels of Gifford and, and Hutmaker mm -hmm. and, and some of those guys. I mean, I think... <laughs> I think Ty Robinson, he it looked like he was out there for 70% of the snaps yesterday, and he was a bully inside. Yeah. I mean, he just really – and Purdue's offensive line is Purdue's offensive line. But, you know, he was really good, and he's been really good most of the year. I mean, you hear Matt Rule talk about it. He thinks he's basically played himself into being an NFL draft pick with the versatility that he's shown – up front and how he's been able to handle multiple offensive linemen week in and week out. So you have him playing at a high level and we're getting the best version of Tommy Hill that we've seen. And it's not just being Johnny on the spot with an interception. First of all, the second interception, <laughs> we watched his brain go to work like, Oh yeah, he's coming here. I'm going to get a run on this. He probably scores that in a normal run of play instead of Nebraska, just being able to kind of, you know, try to end the game at that point. Um, so there's that. But then I actually thought outside of the two interceptions, his best play came in a kind of a quietly critical moment. It's 24 to six. Purdue can keep, they can keep this a three score game with a two point conversion. And Tommy Hilm had a really nice pass breakup on that. And this is a guy who feels like he's starting to get comfortable with who he is as a defensive back. We know he loves to talk. He was in the middle of yeah. the pregame kind of jawing at Purdue that I think kind of helped create the atmosphere that was a weirdly chippy game between two programs that have no history as far as I'm familiar with. Um, and then he, his teammates love him. I mean, the, yeah. the team loves him. The fan base was pretty angry with him at the beginning of the year. And now he feels like he's an important part of this whole thing. Hartzog moves to safety and it doesn't feel like Nebraska lost a beat. I thought John Bullock had a great first quarter. Yeah. I mean, he shot through and had several just nice wrap up tackles ended plays at one or two yards beyond the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, it just feels like they're getting these really good individual performances where it's like, man, it, you know, you don't have 11 guys playing at all Big Ten level. And generally in college, you're never going to have that. Uh, but you've got a handful that are a handful that are playing really well and a handful that at any given play can can make a play for you. Like and then yeah. then you're talking about they're able to make hockey style line changes where Nebraska doesn't give up a yard or, or sends Purdue back for several plays. And then on third down, they're bringing in their best players. Like, mm -hmm. their, their backups are able to stall out Purdue's offense. And then they're bringing in guys like Nash and, and uh, you know, uh, Jamari Butler on third down. It's like, oh, I guess Ty Robinson, uh, Riley Van Poppel, and James Williams were able to hold their own on first and second easily enough. You know, it's, just, uh, it's, it's wild kind of watching it when it works. We're so used to not yeah. seeing things work around here that when everything is going well, I, I don't even know how to compute it. Don't you think it all comes back to messaging? Like those guys, like last week, there might be one guy that played 40 snaps. Yesterday, he plays six. But man, those are like the six most important snaps of the game. And you don't hear anybody chirping at each other. They've done a great job on that side of the ball. And it starts with Tony White. And all you have to do is listen to Tony White. When he speaks, I think he's a good messenger that there is no gray area. This is the expectations. We're raising the standard, but this is what we're asking you to do. 
So guys understand their role and they believe that if, okay, I'm telling you right now, you're only going to get six plays. Okay, coach, I'm good for you. And you get your six plays. You're like, coach, coach told me the truth, but they've also made it fun. I mean, guys look like they're having fun on that side of the ball. And man, when you're making plays and they celebrate with everybody, like everybody on the sidelines on defense, they celebrate with the guys coming off the field. It just looks like a fun side of the ball to play. But I also, Shafe, we have made it to Halloween and we have not had an in-depth discussion about, man, are they going to take away the black shirts? And two, what about that tackling? This is one of the better tackling teams, defense and special teams, that I can recall in a while. That is not even a conversation that's come up. And I think that started when this staff got here and said, whoa, 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 we're going to tackle in practice in the spring. We're going to tackle in camp. We're going to tackle during the season because coaching and practice leads to results. And guys can see that. And it's a, it's an amazing transformation on that side of the ball. Yeah. I, I mean, you hit on everything that I think is clearly working for this defense, the messaging from Tony white, Tony white himself. I think he is a um, kind of one of those rare coaches that has the ability to just connect with pretty much every position group, every player. I, I saw a story on my message boards. I can't verify its accuracy, but after Harburg's fumble, Tony White was one of the people that went over and greeted him and basically was picking him up and telling him that mm -hmm. the defense was going to be right there for him. And so um, I think he's really well respected, you know, in that locker room. And a lot of it just has to do with I, I don't think they want to let him down. I think they look yeah. at it like we don't want to let him down. We're playing for for Tony White. I'm not sure why this seems to happen, but Nebraska's defensive coordinators seem to be the emotional um, the emotional leaders of Nebraska's coaching staff more often than not. You know, you go back to Bo Pelini when he was first hired. You go to uh, to John Papuchis when he was Bo Pelini's defensive coordinator. Eric Shenander under Scott Frost, especially in that 2021 year. But even before that, I mean, you and I both uh, knew how much more fun the defense was yeah. having week in and week out, even when it wasn't going well yep. because of who specifically was coaching them. Uh, I, I'm just not sure, you know, Mark Banker, too. The, about the only one where this is not true was the disaster of the 2017 season. And, you know, that that kind of can speak for itself with everything that happened that year. But I I sort of just look at it like Tony White has come in. He basically, he didn't promise them anything, but he said, if you work hard, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. And now it's like, okay, well, we've, we've worked hard. We practice hard. We practice as hard as the game conditions are. Then we just go out and play. And then you could just tell, like, from the first game against Minnesota, even against Michigan and Colorado, their expectation of who they are and what they can yep. do is so far beyond what anyone else yep. thought was capable for them. And that is a very, very contagious feeling. That's yeah. why guys like James Williams step in and Ty Robinson can look at them and know this guy's going to go make a play. Because they're not going to put somebody on our defense that can't go make a play. You're not walking onto the field and playing with the other 10 of us if you can't go make a play. Because they've seen them do it in practice. They've seen them do it throughout, you know, their their time together. And so I, I think the confidence is at an all-time high for that defense. Yeah, I, you brought up a, a fantastic point that um, I've heard Ty Robinson mention is, you know, it, it's not – in in you know, us in, in, uh, in the real world – you know, you got to trust the person next to you. You got to trust the person, you know, you trust Michael and uh, BC and, you know, and I trust my guys on my radio shows that I'm going to do my job, but they're also going to do their job. I think in the past, it has come to a point where there's not enough trust on the defensive side of the ball that you have one really good player, but he can't trust that guy to his left or his right. So all of a sudden he tries to do their job as well. And we've seen that blow up. And I think this year, and what you've just alluded to, when a new player comes in, he's playing next to a veteran, uh, he trusts that person, okay? That person has been trained to do their job, and they're going to do their job, and all i got to do is worry about my job. I think that's helped Huttmacher. I, I think there were times last year that he, he thought he was really good, and maybe he didn't know exactly what he was doing, but then all of a sudden he tried to do other people's jobs as well. And so he's trying to do three guys' jobs where his job is tough enough right there in the middle, and he would just get swarmed under, and we'd go, whoa, who is that guy? Guys are just doing their jobs. They don't, 
I, I think one thing I've noticed about this team, and 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 this team is not, you know, I, they're not a top twenty-five team. They may end up being there, but they they keep the mindset. I think is they keep their feet right where they're at. They're not trying to be some program that they're not right now. They think they're good in certain aspects, and so they can do things there. But I don't think they play out of their out of their style or out of their identity. They're not trying to be somebody they're not. And I think that's gone a long way this year in having success because in the past, I thought Nebraska football wants to be this vision of something that they've created, but actually what they have is not going to be able to get there. And so there's a huge gap between them and there's the balance that you're not mature enough to handle it and to be who you are. I think this staff with this team, they've grown enough that they know who they are and they're not trying to be somebody who you think they should be they're just trying to be who they currently are with their personnel and their identity and their coaching. And it has benefited them greatly to being a win away from a bowl game and crazy enough to think they could go to Madison and probably play a night game in three weeks and be seven and three and still have a chance to win a division. Yep. Crazy. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely wild to think about. Not, not even just going after going Owen two shave, but just looking at the talent on this roster. I mean, there is nobody that in June said, man, John Bullock, Mike Schaefer on the 29th of October is going to be talking about what a day he had against Purdue. No one. James Williams. James Williams didn't play as much yesterday, but man, didn't you notice him when 90 was in the game? Yeah, it's just, it's, it's kind of refreshing. I mean, it's, it's, this is, I guess this is supposed to how it's supposed to work when you have a program that wants to have an identity built on development. Well, and I think, you know, we always talk about how teams tend to take after their coaches. I mean, you talked about being right where you are. Isn't that Matt Rule and Tony White? Yeah. Like, I mean, they're they're talking about being in the moment. They're talking about going one and oh. They're talking about making the play right in front of your face. They're talking about worrying yeah. about what you can can focus on. I mean, and that's what the defense goes out and does. And when you were talking about um doing it as an eleven versus individuals trying to do everyone's job i went back to the 2019 purdue game which i still contend to be the single worst loss of the scott frost era and that game ends with jojo doman completely vacating his responsibility to try to go make a play as aiden o'connell led like a three-minute drive right down nebraska's you know throat for 80 plus yards and that was aiden o'connell's first experience you know he went on to be a good player who's who's uh should probably be the starting quarterback for the um for the Vegas Raiders right now, but uh, it still, it, it made me think of how like at the time, and even the conversation was, well, one guy just needs to go make a play. Well, with yeah. this team, the way you think about it now, it's not one guy. It could be Quentin Newsom. It could be Tommy Hill. It could be Nash. It could be Ty Robinson. It could be Jamari Butler. It could be Luke Reimer. It could be John Bullock. It could be Nick Henrich. It could be Omar Brown. And like your confidence, it could be Malcolm Hartsock. Your confidence yeah. in all of these guys, Isaac Gifford is high. Because individually, all of them have made plays that have mattered throughout this year. And we really haven't been able to say that a lot about the defense. You absolutely yeah. nailed that. I hadn't thought about it in the way that you kind of presented it. And now I can't unthink about it that way. So thank you. You're probably going to see some sort of like <laughs> column and think, oh, I said that. And I'm not getting any credit here. And you're right. You won't. It's going to come from me <laughs> and my fingertips. But thank you for planting that into my into my brain, Gary. I appreciate it. See these? These conversations are helpful for everyone. Hey, let me give you another thing that you know very well because you've covered this program for a while is the problem that has affected the guy that is the head coach. And this isn't just a Frost thing. This is going back for a while because there's always drama around Nebraska football and there's always things circling and everybody wants their, their hand in the cookie jar is the head coach gets so preoccupied about other things that they lose focus on what they're at the university to do. And I think when you hear that a coach is a micromanager, I get very, very concerned. But I think Matt Rule has his hand on every aspect of this program. It's not like, hey, Matt, um, we're going to do this and this. And he goes, "Uh, you guys take care of it. He wants to know the why and then adds his two cents but then also knows that he hired people that he trusts that they'll be able to execute that, that I think he has done a good job of taking care of all the small things so that his staff and his players can work worry about the main thing. 
And in this case, when I always hear micromanager, like bosses that I've had have thought, oh, geez. I was thinking about this, of something Rule said on Thursday, that this actually may be a benefit to having a guy like Matt Rule at a place like Nebraska, is that he doesn't get overwhelmed by the small things, but he'll take care of them so they don't become big things and they don't impact his football team so his football team can just do football. Yeah, I I think he's a micromanager in the sense that he's like a, I don't even know if he'd be a micro delegator. I mean, he just, think about all the people that he has hired. Like they have a lot of support people that the previous staff did not have, did not hire. And part of the reason for that is that Matt Rule wants to know everything, wants to have his hand in everything, but he physically can't be everywhere. He can't have every conversation that needs to be had, but he's empowered the people that he's hired to do his bidding for them. And he put those guys or girls uh, in, in some cases in those positions because he trusts that they will enact what he wants to be enacted or think as he would have thought on the situation, like his, his empowerment and his trust in people that he has developed is why you end up with so many of these, like it's why he is a developer of assistant coaches. Yeah, He gets these guys in as analysts. He empowers them with responsibility. Should they succeed, he moves them up in the ranks and then they get opportunities elsewhere. Or they get opportunities with him and then they move on. And that's like, he's, he is an internal builder and he will always be that. I, you're not. And I, I think he's internal everything. Like I, you know, even the external noise, he's going to take, like, for example, the Heinrich Harburg discussion from yesterday, which I thought was maybe one of the most interesting uh, great things that has occurred for Matt Rule. He gets asked about why Heinrich Harburg carried the ball one play after getting absolutely rocked. And he turns it into a discussion about how that could have all been avoided if the ball gets thrown away, if Harburg correctly uses the teaching that he's been given. And then also tosses in the fact that he isn't going to call or he doesn't want his team to play or call plays under the idea of what could happen. He doesn't want to live in a what if world. He wants to live in a very much a, this is the play call. This is the expectation. This is our expectation in you. This is your expectation in us. Let's go play. And it's reductive, but it's, it's sort of a fascinating, you know, view into how he's going to attack these things. Like I, it, it came off a little bit to me as a little defensive when it didn't necessarily need to be. But at the same time, it gave me a pretty good window into to how he views it and why he's not going to allow those things to affect him as a coach and why it's so easy for them to move on to next man up. Because ultimately, if you're worried about a guy getting hurt, he's probably going to end up getting hurt and you're probably going to be in a bad situation. If you're just coaching everybody up to your best of yeah. your ability then they should be able to rely on the training that you've given them to this point and then go in and make plays. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I, and I think you said something kind of at the beginning of this conversation. Um, and it's such a serious conversation. I thought we were going to have a ton of fun, but this has become like really deep, but it's okay. Um, I thought we were going to have a lot of fun, but the, you, but this is a, this is a good conversation. I hope we don't have are, fun here. I, I know. I hope Nothing people fun are about football. <laughs> I hope people are enjoying this, but you know, there's the next step of where, Nebraska needs to go and, you know, they're going to have to address that moving forward of, okay, how do we take the next leap to get eventually where we want to go? You brought up something I keep going back to, and I'm going to steal this from, from what you said, like in the moment of where Nebraska football was to what they need, man, Matt rule seems like the most ideal guy. My, I don't know if if you want to call him a home run, whatever, but like for 23 and where Nebraska was last year, to the bridge to set the foundation of what rule believes in and how he acts, man, they, they are, they, they got the right guy for what they needed to get the program back up off the ground. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's hard to argue. They're five and three after eight games and they started Oh, and two. Yep. They're five and three after eight games and they started Oh, and two. I mean, they, they could not have had a worse start. I, I have text in my phone from people asking if they were going to win a couple games how many wins I thought they could still get. If I still thought they could get to six and six, you know, if I still thought rule was the guy, all of these things. And they're now five and three. And like you said, in a few weeks, they could be seven and three and headed to Madison with with everything on the line that you could not have imagined at the beginning of the season. So are you keeping receipts then? Is that what you're doing? What do you say? 
Well, that's what we're supposed to do. And we're also supposed to now have a conversation that we're going to hit the first Saturday in November and Nebraska is closer to bowl eligibility than Colorado. Hmm? <laughs> I threw that out at the end of September. Yeah. I did not buy Colorado. I still, I, the way that program was built and the amount of people who spilled ink in early September questioning how everyone else did everything and lauding a guy who basically threw any kind of cohesion away. And I, I have to give Colorado some credit. They play better football than I could have imagined. I think a lot of that is Dion hired some good coaches. And I really would like to see how things look without Sean Lewis uh, when he, he should get a head coaching job after this, regardless of how Colorado finishes, he should be a power five head coach. Someone should be smart enough to hire him. And I think someone will, but man, they are, uh, their depth, which was one of my yeah. biggest concerns. It's, it's ultimately going to, to erode for them and, you know, but they doubled their win total or quadrupled. I don't know what they had before, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll see what the off season looks like. Do you think they're going to bring in another 70 new players? Uh, I don't think 70, but they'll clean out the offensive line room. Um, yeah. You know, they're going to need skill guys. It's going to be fascinating because December 4th is a day that's circled on my calendar. That's when the portal starts is there's a lot of teams that are going to need some help. I mean, free agency could be off the chains when we get to the month of December, you know, and, and Nebraska is going to have to, you know, Nebraska is going to have to play the game because they're going to need some holes to fix moving forward in 24. But it's just, you know, it, it, it's, it's college football is fun. There's no like dominant team. You know, Georgia is impressive, Michigan, of course, but it's like the survival of the fittest every single week. And the team that we spend more time with is like surviving. It yeah. might not, it might not look the fanciest, but they've survived enough that, Man, November football is going to matter around here. We're not talking about the unemployment line or, you know, recruiting and getting that portal. We're actually going to talk about some football games in November. And damn, that's refreshing. Yeah. Football guys talking about football. That is refreshing. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Gary, this has been a supersized edition of the Sunday side session. I appreciate your time. Everybody can listen to everything yeah. Gary has to say from six to 10 in the morning. On 1620 The Zone, Monday through Friday. Gary, appreciate your time here today. Hey, thanks, Shafe. All right, everybody else, be sure to stop by Husker 24-7. There'll be plenty of recruiting coverage throughout the day. There'll be plenty more from Saturday's game against Purdue. And, of course, there'll be plenty leading up to the game against Michigan State next weekend. Oh, by the way, we're in that weird part of the year where all of a sudden basketball games are going to start happening. Nebraska plays Doan on Sunday night. BC's pulling double duty. You're going to start reading stories and then Rink Mast is going to appear in a football story because he's going to forget which one he's writing. And there's going to be a whole basketball paragraph in the middle of it. Get prepared for that. That's going to be coming up on Husker 24-7. We got everything for you. So be sure to check out all of that. We'll be back later this week with another Husker 24-7 podcast.